Amen. Clap your hands for a God that always provides. I think we can do better than that, church. As a matter of fact, won't you go crazy? Let's welcome, welcome in our New Jersey family. What's up, New Jersey? Well, I'm excited about today. It's a special Sunday. We're spiritual family. We're about to have some family conversation. As a spiritual family, we need to talk a little bit, every location, about your faith. Let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter number 2, beginning at verse 9. Um, text says, after they heard the king... They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I want to stop the reading of scripture there and talk from this subject on this Legacy Sunday. There's a miracle in this house. Clap your hands every location. Change global. Drop some fire in the chat. There's a miracle in this house. Family, I want to ease into this introduction by delivering to you a diagnosis that your doctor may have overlooked. There is an undetected allergy that many, if not most of you, have been impacted by but unaware of. <laughs> I'm not referring to an allergy as it relates to dairy or an allergy as it relates to gluten. I feel confident in communicating that many, if not most of us, who are uh, gathered in these locations, whether physically or virtually, suffer from an allergy to average. Yeah, there is an unexplainable irritation and this frequent frustration that many of us internally wrestle with on the inside of us when we see our actions are not aligned with our abilities and we are not performing in accordance to our potential. We wrestle with this holy tension of not wanting to be unappreciative for where we are. Because we realize and recognize that we did not get to this location without some transportation. Is there anybody here that knows that you didn't get to where you are by yourself? Come on. That when you look at where you were, when you look at what you had to overcome, when you look at what you had to fight through, when you look at the blows you've absorbed, when you look at the adversity you've overcome, when you look at the setbacks that could have been fatal, but they were not final because you have a God that's faithful. Come on. When we, when we look at that, we are grateful and appreciative 
and filled with gratitude for where we are. Yet at the same time, if you're emotionally honest, you got to admit that there's still something in the recesses of your soul that senses there's more. <laughs> and what if I told you the desire for that is not greed? What if I told you it's not insatiable greed always? Sometimes it's the imago dei. It's the image of God. This is why I can say with confidence, family, that most, if not many of us, share this allergy to average because this allergy is hereditary. Hereditary? Yeah, it's hereditary. We all got it from our father. We don't all have the same natural father, but we all have the same heavenly father. And we are walking around with the DNA of our heavenly father. And there is nothing about our heavenly father that is ordinary. There is nothing about our heavenly father that is average. There is nothing about our heavenly father that is normal. He can do what no one else can do. He can move what no one else can move. He can accomplish what no one else can accomplish. Let me see if I got any old school church goers. Bridge over troubled water. Lawyer in the courtroom, doctor in the sick room, lily in the valley, wheel in the middle of a wheel. We are carrying the DNA of our creator. It's not always insatiable greed. Sometimes it's the imago day. It's the image of God because our God it's not ordinary. As a matter of fact, there's a, there is a powerful uh, term that is often used to describe the God that reveals himself in the Bible, and that is our God, our Heavenly Father, the one whose DNA we carry. That God is sovereign. Pastor, what, what, what does sovereign mean? Number of different approaches to describe sovereign, but here's the one we're going to work with today. Sovereign means supreme power or authority. Come on, church. Supreme power or authority. So this concept of sovereign suggests that other people, places, and things may have power. It's just their power is not supreme. It, it, it suggests that some other people, places, and things may have, listen to me, a say. But because they're not sovereign, they don't have the last say. The fact that God is sovereign speaks to God's ability to overrule. And it means even if a ruling has been made, a decision has been, has been brought forth, God has the ability to override and to overturn what someone else has decreed and declared in our existence. And I know I got some people, change Jersey, change Gwinnett, change global, that can look back over your life and say the only reason I am here is because God overruled some things. Come on. 
The only reason, come on, the only reason I'm saying in the membrane is because he overruled some things that if the enemy would have had his way and if life would have had his way and if circumstances would have had his way, there is no way I would be here. But God overruled. He overruled my misery and wouldn't let me stay down. He overruled my mistakes. And redeemed my life from destruction. Reminding my mistakes, even you not sovereign. I'm about to run, y'all. Reminding my mistakes that even you don't have the last say. Our God is a God that's sovereign. And sometimes this, his sovereignty manifests itself in anomalies. Pastor, what's an anomaly? It's a deviation. It's a rule breaker. You've heard the term trend setter. An anomaly is a trend breaker. It's when things would normally continue in a certain direction, but something intervenes and interrupts the trend and shifts the direction and changes the trajectory. That's our God. I said, that's our God. I said, that's our God. He's the God that orchestrates anomalies. It, 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 we call them in Christian context, miracles. Come on. It's when God makes something happen that couldn't happen, shouldn't happen, wouldn't happen unless he made it happen. And some of you are sitting thinking because you've got a reductionist view of miracles to that which is grand and grandiose. So some of you are thinking you've never seen a miracle. But what you don't know is you sit next to one. You didn't hear what I just said. Some people are sitting cynically and saying, I've never seen a miracle. I've never seen anyone raised from the dead. Look to your left. Look to your right. We may not have been dead physically, but our joy was dead, and our peace was dead, and our hope was dead, and our focus was dead, and he raised us back up to life again. You don't know you're sitting next to a miracle because you only see the finished work. Wait a minute. You only see the work this far because the work not even finished. But if you knew where I had come from, then you would know. His sovereignty manifests itself in Anomalies, miracles, they are minor to God. I said miracles are minor to God. I said miracles are minor to God. It's not even major work. It's minor work. It's not even hard work. It's easy work. It's light work for him. 
It's all in a day's work. They require no strain, no stress, no struggle. Jesus even said, there are some miracles of liberation. Jesus said, if I by the finger of God cast out Beelzebub, then you know that the kingdom of God has come near you. He said, there are some miracles of liberation that God performed. He don't even have to move his hand. He just lift his finger. He said, I do it by the finger of God. He's a God that orchestrates anomalies. But I'm afraid of something. And this is what I want to talk to us about as a family. In this series called Family Matters, I want to talk about this for us as a spiritual family. And I think it applies to our natural family. I want to make sure that we, in this season of Advent, where we are reminded of God's ability and willingness to orchestrate anomalies and work miracles, I want to make sure that we don't forget that wherever there is the presence of a miracle or the potential for a miracle, excuse me, there's the presence of a Herod. Let me say it one more time. Wherever there's the potential of a miracle, there is the presence of a Herod. And how you handle the Herod determines if you get the miracle. Pastor, who's Herod? Well, in the Bible, <laughs> Herod was a literal governmental figure. Jesus is born in a period of human history where Israel is under the oppressive leadership of the Roman Empire who divided his empire, the emperor divides the empire into sections and segments and then assigns kings who serve underneath his authority to execute his agenda for that region and area. And one of those assigned to the Jews was a man named Herod. But Herod is here in rumblings around town. Herod goes on ATL Scoop and sees. <laughs> Herod goes on the Trentonian and sees. Herod goes on IG and sees uh, a king of the Jews. Is about to be born and he's thinking a king of the who <laughs> yeah the Jewish Messiah they say is being born right now so here starts thinking well if he's gonna be the king of the Jews what's gonna happen with me I'm either gonna lose my job or I'm going to lose my life. Because if I can't keep this region stable, the emperor's going to replace me. So Herod now allows his insecurity, his instability, his entitlement to intoxicate him to the degree that he says, I got to kill this baby. I got to kill this miracle.
So Herod now represents anything that the enemy uses to stop anomalies, miracles from coming to full fruition. He couldn't stop him from being born. He just wanted to stop him from growing up. He couldn't stop the idea of him because the birth of Jesus had been prophesied hundreds of years before his birth, right? I mean, it was prophesied that he would be born. It was, it was prophesied where he would be born. So the idea of a miracle, he couldn't stop. What he was trying to stop was the possession of one. And such can be the case with us. We, we sing about miracles, preach and teach about miracles, but that's the idea of one. But to possess them, we got to war with Herod. And what Herod can represent is Herod can represent reason. Because even though Herod's assumptions were wrong, if you're really going to be objective and honest, we can't say his assumptions were unreasonable. That the average person in his position would probably think, well, if this is the prophesied king of the Jews, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my life. And it speaks to how sometimes what God wants to do in and through our life is at war with your reason. And God gives us the gift of reason. He wants us to use our reason. He gave us reason for a reason, but you must keep reason in its rightful place. Because you're going to hit seasons and circumstances in your life and in your family and change churches in a season and circumstance where what we need God to do is not reasonable. We need him to do something that, come on, that goes beyond the bounds of our reason and our limitation. We need him every now and then to make things happen that don't normally happen. We need him to do for us what he did for the children of Israel when they were crossing the Red Sea. Water normally doesn't part. 99 times out of 100. 99.9 .9 times out of 100, water doesn't part. But if the water is in the way of the where God is taking you, God will say, I know this normally doesn't happen 99.9% .9 of the time. But this time, I'm getting ready to make it happen. And I'm declaring this over every family and ever, over every changed church location, we're getting ready to experience of this time. I said we are getting ready to experience a this time. Please don't reduce God to your reason. 
because sometimes you're going to need him to do something that's unreasonable. Please don't reduce the divine to your data. We need data. God values data. There's a whole book of the Bible on data. Numbers. It's a census. We need data. But don't reduce God to the data. The data gives you the facts. And now you got to look at the facts and use your faith. Because listen to me, facts are true, but facts aren't the truth. Facts don't change the truth, but the truth of God's word can change the facts. The facts are there was a little boy who had two fish and five loaves of bread. That's a fact. And in that moment, that was true. But the truth says, I'm going to take that two fish and five loaves of bread and I'm going to do something unreasonable. And that's what our God can do. So this weekend isn't just about our church and its expansion. It's about expanding our view of our God. And my question is, have you reduced the size of your God to the size of your last season of disappointment? Do you have tame faith now about what God can do in the future because of what didn't happen in the past? Your faith is domesticated. You put it in the zoo when it's supposed to live in the wild. Why, pastor, I got to go because the God you see is the God you get. Your perception determines your reception. So we can serve the same God and not have similar experiences because you have reduced your God to the size of your reason. And we have expanded our God to what we see in the scriptures. And the scriptures show us He's a God that is able to perform all types of miracles. We see four of them right here in Mary's text. We, in this text regarding Mary, we see, first of all, the miracle of procreation. This is the Christmas story, the immaculate conception. The birth of Jesus in and of itself is not a birth because of the a miracle because of the pregnancy the miracle is in the process this is the only time where a woman gets pregnant without going through the normal process that a woman has come on has to go through she she gets pregnant without partnership with a man 
It is a powerful picture of God's ability to say, hey, I can do the same thing a different way. I don't know who this is for, but I just pray you adopt the attitude of the old song that says, any way you bless me, I'll be satisfied. I'm not caught up in the process. I want the result. So you don't have to take me their way. You don't have to take me that route. Miracles of procreation remind us that God can do it another way. But that's not the only one I see in the text. I see miracles of partnership. Because the Bible says when she gets pregnant, she has an exchange with someone else who's experiencing not the same type of miracle pregnancy, but a miracle pregnancy. And this person was her cousin, Elizabeth. He says, you carrying something that requires partnership with somebody you couldn't meet on your own. Y'all missed it. <clears throat> so God arranges this connection between Mary and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is further along in her pregnancy than Mary. Y'all missed it. She's further along. And miracles, a partnership is when God connects you with someone who is carrying something similar to what you're carrying. Carrying a vision similar to what you're carrying. Carrying a life similar to what you're carrying. And they're further along than you. But because they are, watch this, because they got because they're carrying something and they got character when they meet you they're not intimidated by you they invest in you they baby leap the bible says that the babies start leaping in the womb may god send you elizabeth's Everything this church has done, God sent some Elizabeths. It took some Elizabeths, some supernatural partnerships to get deals done. <laughs> I don't have time, maybe the, maybe the next service, but I, 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 I need y'all to catch this. Maybe next week, maybe the week after that. I don't know. We'll see when we circle back to this. But one of the things I realize is this. Miracles of partnership require the faith, watch this, to walk away from that which is not Elizabeth. It means you get to a place in your life where you realize, I can't carry this and compete with you. I'm carrying too much, and it's taking too much from me. May God send you Elizabeths, people who are carrying visions similar to yours, but are further along than you, who will partner with you to help you birth what you're carrying, because they're willing to invest in you, not because they're intimidated by you. And I'm not even going to bother this. Yes, I am a little bit. But, but what Elizabeth gave birth to, John, was more prominent for a season. 
but understood the theology of decrease and got to a point and say, I got to decrease. See, Elizabeths don't mind you outdoing them. Some people want you to win. As long as you're not winning so much, it feels like you're outwinning them. But Elizabeth wants you to be all God's called you to be. Then there are miracles in the text of protection. You need that. I need that. Your family needs that. Our church family needs that. Herod literally was trying to kill Jesus. And every way Herod tried to use to get in, God kept him out. Herod found out the, from the Magi, the wise men, that uh, they were following the star to get to Jesus. He said, hey, when, when y'all when get there, let me know so I can come worship him too. And God said, the Bible says God warned the wise men in a dream. Don't do it. Joseph is literally getting ready to be, Joseph, Jesus' dad, is getting ready to have his family right in the proximity of Herod. And while he's asleep, God comes to him in a dream and says, Joseph, take the child to Egypt. Herod's trying to kill it. Every way Herod tried to get in, God kept him out. Now, the miracles of protection are the miracles that get the least credit. Because these are miracles most of the time you never get to see. You get to see what you were protected from. You don't get to see all the ways Herod tried to come in. And God kept him out. Can I say something to you lovingly, but sternly? I admire you. When I hear some of your stories and hear what you have gone through and are going through, I'm inspired by that. I see your strength. I see your resilience. But I've been around long enough to know that you are where you are, not because you're that strong. Not because you're that tough. Not because you're that resilient. You are where you are because when you couldn't carry yourself, you say, no, pastor, I was strong. I'm not debating whether or not you were strong. You just need to ask yourself, where did the strength come from? Come here. Be strong in the Lord. God was like, that wasn't your strength. That was me. I have an inexhaustible supply of strength. And last but not least in the text, there's a miracle of prospering. I know extremism in Christian camps and bad theology and greed have made many people uncomfortable with that word. 
Um, and there are certain words I'm not going to fight for if the word's not in the Bible. But if it's in the Bible, it's worth fighting for. You don't, you don't fix wrong teaching with non-teaching. You fix wrong teaching with right teaching. And when I read my Bible, I see a God that is committing, committed to addressing every area of poverty in the lives of his people. Spiritual poverty, which is the worst kind. That's the worst kind. Because when you got spiritual poverty, you got poverty of purpose. So you got cars that will take you everywhere and you still don't know where you're going. Because <laughs> the compensation for spiritual wealth is fulfillment. You get a new job, it gives you temporary satisfaction till it's not new anymore. New house, temporary satisfaction till it's not new. New boo. Because I want to prosper you spiritually where you're flourishing. I want to prosper you emotionally where you have peace, shalom, joy that overflows like a river. I want to prosper you relationally where you're not confined to toxicity and, and abuse and neglect and damage. Am I making sense here? When John writes his epistle, he greets by saying, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And there are times where we need a miracle to prosper. And we see it in the text. When these wise men get to Jesus, we read it, they didn't come empty-handed. They opened up their treasures to him. And I don't know if you know this, but my life, your life, your family, and our spiritual family, Change Church, we need all four of these miracles. We need procreation. We're going to need God to do stuff another way. We need partnership. We're going to need Elizabeth to come alongside and to help bring this vision to pass. We need, we're going to need protection. From what? We don't even know. And we're going to need to prosper. I was praying last night at my kitchen counter. I was praying over this scripture that I read in New Jersey. Um, some of our New Jersey fam, if you were there yesterday, you heard this. And I prayed something, and I'm going to tell you what I prayed. I think it was a prophetic prayer. We're not in this season yet. Because um, I saw something in this story. We need all, I think we all, personally and corporately, want miracles of procreation, partnership, protection, and prospering. But the text teaches us something. The way to get that miracle, the way to get a miracle is to live a life where you're willing to be one. Mary got all of these miracles because she was willing to be one. What did she do? She was willing to release her seed, her child. 
and let her child, her seed be used to bless someone other than her. Is that the book? She literally had to watch her seed suffer on a cross. Because she realized every seed, not for me. That God's going to use this seed to bless some other people. And that's what we're getting ready to do right in this moment. As we give today, we're like Mary. We're saying, God, I'm going to release a seed, not a child currency that can be used to bless other people. That'll be used to bless people you'll never see. See, I'm talking to a New Jersey family and our Atlanta family right now. But right here, Change Global, Change Atlanta, or Change Orlando, everything that we've done was because 18 years ago, a group of people in New Jersey said, I'm going to release a seed that will bless people I'll never see. Come on. A group of people said, I'm going to give to a building I'll never go to. But I know God who changed my life in this building is going to change somebody else's life in that building. So I'm going to say, even if I never sit there, I'm going to seed into that as a way of saying, God, thank you for the miracle you've already worked in me. That group of people said there's no way I'm going to sit here and let God use this house to bless me in this way. And I not do everything I can to say, God, spread it all over the world. Make the earth be like a sandwich and spread change like peanut butter and jelly all over the world. So that people in Africa and so that people in London and so that people in Philly and people in New York. So that people in Mercer County and Burlington County and people in Gwinnett County and people in DeKalb County can experience what God is doing here. I want to release a seed. And as we do so, I'm reminded of the scripture in 2 Corinthians 9. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly, un under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. You know what Paul is saying? I'm going to read it again. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times having all you need you will abound in every good work he always provides I wish I had somebody in the service today at every location that believed it <laughs> 